Well, last week, I shared that, that Christmas decorations begin coming down on January 1st, and, and I must confess that we have not made any progress in that direction. Uh, and, and if you haven't either, here is the good news, is that we are f- officially still in the liturgical season of Christmas. Um, the 12 days of Christmas actually run through this coming Wednesday, January 5th, and, and then Epiphany is on this Thursday, January the 6th, Epiphany being the celebration of the revelation of God's promise to all nations of the world in the story of the Magi coming from the East. And so our scripture this morning is different from what you have in your bulletins, and so I want to invite you to open up to the book of Matthew chapter 2. Our text for this morning is, is a familiar one. Uh, Both of those in the church and within popular culture know this story, the story of the Magi, or the story of the wise men. And we find this story in the Gospel of Matthew, as I mentioned. And if you look at Matthew chapter 2, you will see that it's preceded by an angel visiting Joseph in a dream, reassuring him not to be afraid of taking Mary as his wife. And it's followed by another angelic visit to Joseph in a dream warning him of imminent danger and instructing him to flee with Mary and Jesus into Egypt. And so it is right in between these two stories of angelic visitations that visitors arrive from the east. Now the Magi in this story, in these short 12 verses, visit two places. First, the palace in Jerusalem, this this place of cultural influence and the seat of power in the area. And then finally, the humble dwelling of this Jewish family, perhaps as Luke describes, a lowly cattle stall filled with all the sights and smells that accompany a place for holding animals. And they find what they're looking for in both places. You see, it is at the palace where they are directed to travel to Bethlehem. It is at the palace where they find the information that they need to ultimately find the baby Jesus in the lowly cattle stall. So this morning I'll read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking... Where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. 
And then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, I would like us to examine this familiar story as to how it speaks to us first as individuals and then second as God's people, as, as the church. Now, according to the text, a star, this feature of God's creation, prompts these magi to begin their journey. And it is the path of this star, which according to the text is, is moving, it influences their journey. And, and I'd like you to consider for a moment, how has God's creation provoked wonder for you? How has, how has it inspired awe? Or perhaps prompted existential questions about your place in the universe? But perhaps something you viewed in the natural world has caused you to reflect on how small you really are and how big the universe is. Creation is full of wonders. And the Arctic Tern is one such wonder. Are you familiar with this bird? The migration patterns of this bird are quite remarkable and well-documented. You see, the Arctic tern begins its life near the North Pole during summer in the Northern Hemisphere, where the days are long, and it is sunlight virtually 24 hours a day. Now, as the year progresses and those days begin to shorten, the Arctic tern begins a migration to its wintering grounds near the South Pole, where it arrives for summer in the Southern Hemisphere. This arduous migration ensures that the Arctic Tern sees more daylight than any other creature on the planet. Now, the shortest distance between these two poles is about 12,000 miles. However, studies have found that the terns take a more circuitous route to take advantage of prevailing wind patterns, and some studies have shown that the birds travel, on average, 44,000 miles per year, or more than 1.5 million miles in their lifetime. You see, these creatures, they are guided by this innate desire for sunlight. It's, it's embedded within who they are, and it shapes their entire journey, their entire lives. What are the guiding forces in your life? What are those forces that are, that are shaping your journey, that are influencing your decisions? These birds do not fly a direct route to the light or even a direct route to the next pole, but their need for sunlight is always in the background, influencing their direction, shaping their journey. What is that thing for you? And this is admittedly not a simple question. It, it takes reflection. And, and though we don't have the time for a thorough reflection this morning, we're going to take about 30 seconds of quiet 
stillness. For you to consider, what are those overarching guiding forces in your life? Is it security, a desire to be safe, a need to to see that those that you love are safe and secure? Is it the knowledge of being financially stable? Perhaps it's how others perceive you, your status as defined by, by position of employment or what school you went to or where your children go, or what neighborhood you live in? Is it the success of your children? What are those things which shape your daily life and decisions? You see, because if we are focused on security and safety, it shapes our journey. If we are focused on the success of our children, it shapes our journey. If we're focused on status, it shapes our journey. And that list goes on, and you'll notice that the list is, is not inherently evil, although each has a dark side. A preoccupation with safety and security can lead us to becoming inhospitable and distrusting of the stranger in our midst. A focus on status will, will make us slaves to the world. Prioritizing children or family above all else blinds us to the realities of their faults. You see, friends, a life of Christian discipleship is a life spent orienting and reorienting our lives around the person of Jesus Christ as our guiding force. Is that the case for you? What would it look like if in this new year you resolved to earnestly seek to make Jesus Christ your guiding force? Because it's a daily process of self-examination and prayerfully seeking God's will. It's hard work. It's everyday work. It's work we do on our own. It's work we do here as a church together. It's why we offer Christian education opportunities. It's why we offer small groups. What would it look like if you resolved to do this in 2022? It's hard work, but the good news is that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the only focus, the only guiding force, the only overarching governing principle that actually frees us to live and be who God created us to be.
You see, when we make Jesus Christ our focus, then our journey is shaped by the grace of Jesus Christ, which has no dark side. It is the only guiding force with the power to forgive and welcome the stranger, redeem our faults, and deliver us from ourselves. The Magi were led to the stable, and it changed their journeys forever. But what does this story say to us as the church? You know, it's, it's easy to glamorize the Magi. In fact, we've, we've labeled them wise men. In reality, they, they were um, likely practitioners of magic and sorcery which was not a flattering label in the New Testament. Uh, The other references to magi within the New Testament come in the book of Acts, and they're used to describe people who were deceiving their followers, directing people to look to their own human resources rather than to God. They were seen as heretics. And we also often misremember the story and believe that it was exclusively the star that led the magi to the Christ child. Were you paying attention? I invite you to look back at the scripture in Matthew chapter 2 and and again at verses 1 through 5. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east. They came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him. And then Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the child. Herod, the villain of the story, and and these leaders in Jerusalem, they know where the Messiah will be born. The leaders, these these influencers, those in possession of Scripture, of God's Word, they have all of the information, and yet they miss it. They look at Scripture, and they direct the Magi where to go. The Magi simply follow directions. God stirs within them something at the rising of this star, but Herod and the leaders of Jerusalem direct them where to go to find the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who will deliver, the one for whom these leaders in Jerusalem have supposedly been waiting for. These leaders know the truth. They speak the truth. But they fail to allow the truth to transform their lives. They miss it. And so my question for us this morning is, church, are we missing it? We, the leaders in this community, people with influence, with access to the word of God, are are we missing what God has done and is doing all around us? Are we so consumed with ambitions of our own design that despite knowing the truth and perhaps even speaking the truth, we fail to allow the truth to transform us? 
How do we avoid becoming like the rulers in Jerusalem? Donald Miller is a Christian author and and wrote a book entitled Blue Like Jazz that some of you may be familiar with. And in it, he tells the story of sitting down to do a radio interview in which he is sternly asked by the host to defend Christianity. Miller replies saying this. He says, I can't. And when asked why he couldn't, he answers, because I no longer know what the term means. Of the people listening to your show today, some of them have undoubtedly had terrible experiences with Christianity. They have been yelled at by a teacher in a Christian school. They've been abused by a Christian leader or browbeaten by a Christian parent. And to term, excuse me, to them, the term Christianity meant something that no Christian would defend. You stop 10 people on the street and ask them what they think of when they hear the word Christianity, and they will give you 10 different answers. I would rather talk about Jesus and how I came to believe that Jesus exists and how he likes me. Are we willing? Are we willing as a church to ask the hard questions about how we appear to the world? And rather than bristling with defensiveness at criticism, Are we willing to own the mistakes of the church? Are we willing to consider that perhaps we are, whether consciously or unconsciously, that that we are putting up barriers to those who might come in to worship? What might those barriers be? How are we practicing hospitality? Are we? Or... Have we unwittingly created a system that excludes the very people who, like the Magi, are searching for Jesus? Because, friends, there are people out there searching for meaning, that are searching for a guiding force like Jesus Christ. The wise men logically go to the palace looking for the king of the Jews. But Jesus wasn't in the palace, a place where a person needed status to enter, a place with closed doors, with guards. No. Jesus shows up in the stable with no pretense, a place certainly not contrived to keep people out. The story of the Magi is a reminder to us that God's gift of grace is for all nations, for all people. It is is for you and for me. It is for people who come from far off places. The story of the Magi compels us to remember that, that we are all of us created in the image of God and worthy of God's grace. And so as we enter into 2022, how do we, First Presbyterian Church of Fort Lauderdale, open our doors to the world? Can we resolve to become a place with people from the palace and people from the stable? So that when people arrive, we might, like those in the palace, look at Scripture 
but then not miss it. That we might then join together in worshiping the Christ child. Can we be a place in Fort Lauderdale where those searching diligently for the child might be willing to enter in and worship? And where people might learn to follow Jesus together? This morning, we are reminded that Christ's salvation is for all people by this table, a table that is not a Presbyterian table, but rather a table for all of those who would come and admit that they are broken and that they are in need of a guiding force like the grace provided by Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? You are holy, O God, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. He was born to dwell among us full of grace and truth. And in Jesus, we have seen your glory. He lived for you, spoke your truth, and showed your love, and lavished with gifts from the Magi, He gave his life for others. Baptized by John in the Jordan, he poured out his mercy for all, turning water into wine at a wedding. He transformed sorrow into joy. And in his death on the cross, he overcame death for all of us. Rising from the tomb, he raised us to eternal life and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon these gifts of bread and juice, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, that we may be one with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. Friends, on the night our Lord was betrayed, he gathered with his friends and Having blessed the bread, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Every time that you eat this bread or drink from this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection. Amen. Friends, we invite you now to partake in the elements.